great. Uh, but then, then what happens? Well, then he transforms us. And uh, Sunday night, folks, most of you have been transformed. Uh, your life has changed. You want to serve the Lord. And uh, what a great thing that is. So we're going to look at uh, Titus tonight, opening up uh, a new part of Scripture that we haven't been in. Uh, so I trust uh, we'll go there. So open up your Bibles, please. Let's go to Titus chapter 1. We'll give you a little bit of background on the book. And uh, hopefully it'll be encouraging to you as we look at uh, what's known as a pastoral epistle. So there's three pastoral epistles specifically talking where Paul the Apostle, he's, he's talking to individuals that uh, he's basically one to, the, one to uh, Christ and he's discipling them. They're in the ministry and he's helping them to become, uh, if you will, more effective in what they're doing. So we'll be looking at that. So again, uh, we'll start out with a little bit of an introduction. We'll go through about the first nine verses. And tonight what we're going to center on, and uh, if you uh, watched uh, or you were here this morning or saw the video, uh, we're going to be looking at, and, and it's an interesting topic about what is a pastor supposed to do. We're going to look at three different uh, words that the Lord uses to describe what a pastor is, what they're supposed to be doing, and uh, maybe I'll learn something while we go through this. So uh, uh, we should have a good time as we open up the word together. All right, so again, uh, as we look forward, folks, I, I, I can't emphasize enough, and, and Justin uh, put the emphasis on there that we definitely needed. November 1st, folks, is, uh, it, it truly is a super important day, I think, for Union Grove Baptist Church. And you say, well, why is that? Folks, when all of our people get together, and boy, if there's any way possible, I, and I heard today, and I'm not a hunter. Uh, I know there's a lot of hunters in our group, and it's bow season apparently is part of November 1st. If you can uh, just kind of fudge in the morning, you can go out and hunt all night, enjoy yourself, uh, but uh, try to be here November 1st. Uh, we want to pack the place out. We're going to have a lot, a lot of visitors. I, that's guaranteed, because I know a bunch that are coming already. So it's going to be very important. It's going to be encouraging to you. When you sit down and you, and you see the, the place packed out and you listen to the messages from uh, Dr. Horn, when Maranatha, by the way, is also going to be here, we've got a group coming called Low Key. They'll be singing some special numbers. Uh, Jim Schneider uh, will be here. So it's just going to be a fantastic uh, hour and a half or so that we'll have together. Then we'll go next door and uh, we'll have a light lunch together. So it's just going to be a spectacular day. I think you're going to be tremendously encouraged and just excited to see what's going to happen that day. And uh, then we need you here. You say, well, why do you need me here that day? Because I need our people here. I need Union Grove Baptist people here to make the other folks feel at home. You are the ones that, I mean, if you got... 100 visitors here, who are they going to look at? Well, it's, it's us. They'd have to uh, endear them, uh, draw them in, and there'll be folks from, from that are within driving distance that potentially could be part of our church. Wouldn't that be good? And uh, so we need you desperately, please, to be here November 1st. Last thing on that, uh, if we get into a parking situation, uh, will our own folks... What we're going to ask you to do, and we'll kind of gauge it. At the beginning, I don't want the parking lot to look empty, so if you get here early, we'll let you come in. If it's starting to look like we're going to pack out the parking lot, 
We have uh, a shuttle that we're going to use. We can park at the school. I've already gotten permission from the principal. We'll park, uh, you can drop off the, the load here, take the car, your van, whatever you have, over to the school lot just across the street from us, and we'll shuttle you back here uh, just in case. We'll see how it goes, but uh, uh, we'd appreciate if you'd help us out that way. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. All right, enough said. Let's get into Titus. And a couple of questions that we have tonight. Think about this. Do you have a mentor who helps you navigate through life? A lot of folks want to have a, a mentor. Very few people get one that they really love and trust and can confide in. But uh, mentoring, maybe uh, you're someone who would like to mentor someone. Uh, maybe you've got a little bit of experience. You're a little more, uh, you've been saved a while. And it's like, boy, I'd really like to take somebody under my wing, mentor them and help them grow. So do you have a mentor? Do you mentor anyone now? Is there someone, maybe one or two people, that uh, literally you just take and, and you mentor them? You help them in their walk with God, you hold them accountable, and spend a little time with them. Well, I wonder where this is coming from. Well, this is exactly what Paul did with Titus. Finally, what are the biblical qualities a pastor must possess? Unequivocally, there are certain things a pastor better have or he shouldn't be standing uh, up here pastoring a church. So, let's hope I get through that list. All right, so for tonight, what are we going to do? We're going to examine basically the introduction to Titus. We'll just give you a couple of little facts about who Titus is, what he was doing, and then Paul's admonition to him regarding the mandatory qualities, if you will, of a pastor. All right, so let's look at a couple of things background-wise uh, as, as we get started here. So Paul uh, wrote to Titus regarding his work in the ministry. All right, we'll find out that, that Titus was basically working in a particular place, which we'll get to in a moment. We'll show it to you on the map, and he's trying to mentor him. He's saying, listen, there's, there's things you need to do, Titus. The ministry, by the way, is not for, if we say, the faint of heart. Uh, sometimes need rhinoceros skin. And uh, I got to say this, though, and, and I, and I want to talk to you personally for a minute. I have not had one person give me a hard time since I've been here. Just hadn't happened. I've had a couple of folks that have challenged some things, and that's all good. I'm all for being challenged. And uh, it's like, well, did you think about this, or did you look at it, things from this perspective? I love that. I'm, uh, interaction's a good thing. But uh, uh, you folks, you've been very kind. You've been loving, you've been sweet, uh, and, and I just, I can't praise you enough for how wonderful it's been to, to serve here. And it's, it really does. It, it makes you feel good. You love being here. And uh, it, it's a good thing. But uh, Paul wrote to Titus regarding his work. And, and yeah, the, sometimes, I mean, if you folks suffer too, right? I mean, you, you have heartaches, you have burdens. And uh, that's why I'll say it's such an important thing that the pastor is somebody you can trust, somebody that you can confide in and know that he's not going to go running his lips around the block and say, do you know who told me what? Can't happen. So there's got to be a certain level of confidentiality. I was in law enforcement for 33 years. My wife would always say, uh, Rich comes home and he doesn't tell me anything. 
Well, you know why I couldn't tell her anything, especially when in administration, that's confidential stuff. You got to keep it to yourself. So I've had 33 years plus the ministry of learning not to talk. And uh, now I talk too much, but uh, not about stuff that's confidential. But uh, it, it's so important, folks, when somebody, if you are mentoring somebody or they do share something with you, boy, confidentially is such a, an important thing. All right, so Titus and First and Second Timothy, we already said this, are the three pastoral epistles. In other words, Paul is taking the, uh, Titus, he's taking Timothy, and he's like, hey guys, uh, hey buddy, let, let's chat. Let's, let's, uh, I need to give you some advice. So it's basically, if you, if you go to Bible school, and several of you have been to Bible schools, uh, there's classes on how to basically pastor. In other words, what does a pastor do? How does he, re how does he, how does he react with, with people and so forth? So uh, he's being very pastoral, very instructional, but very kinesthetic at the same time. And uh, this uh, particular letter was written around AD 63, so quite a while ago. Titus, if you uh, uh, read through or you use a concordance and you look his name up, you'll find he's listed in 13 other places throughout Scripture. So he's got a, a significant place, uh, and we'll look through that as we go through the epistles starting tonight. Now, uh, if you look at Titus, if you got your Bible open and look at chapter 1, verse 4, and we'll go to it in just a moment, uh, it basically says that uh, Titus was his son, Paul's son in the faith. In other words, what he's saying and what it appears, and he's used that terminology in other passages, where a son in the faith is somebody, it's not a birth son, but it's somebody that he had the privilege of sharing the gospel with, and now he's a son in the faith, okay? So that makes a, if you've ever led someone to Christ, and if you haven't, I hope you, you'll get the opportunity very shortly, and if you have, and many of you have had, uh, uh, there's a certain bond with that person, right? I mean, you've, you basically shared with them the most important thing that ever happened in their life. I, I mean, it, it's so important. I remember to this very day the lady that was doing a, a home Bible study, and her first name was Catherine. I don't, I don't remember her last name, but I could still see her today. I could, I mean, if I... I, I know her. I'll never forget that person because it's the person that shared the gospel with me that led to me uh, being saved. Uh, so it's important, and there's a bond that happens with somebody who's had the privilege of, of sharing the gospel. Uh, by the way, we talk about this often. Can I make anybody become a Christian? Uh-uh. You know, back, back in the, and that's one thing about back in the just as I am days, and uh, I see Steve shaking his head already. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know where you're going. Uh, I, I smell what you're cooking. And, uh, <laughs> and here, here's what he's saying. Folks, we plant, we water. It's like, well, man, I witnessed that person. I must not be right with God. The Holy Spirit must not be working through me. And I must be a dirty, rotten sinner because I talked to somebody and they didn't come to Christ. It's all on me. No, it's not on you. Not on you at all. If you're being faithful, you're sharing your faith with somebody, you're planting, you're watering, but God makes it very clear who brings forth the increase. Holy Spirit does, right? Uh, we can't do it. We do the best we can. We plead, we beg, uh, we be kind, we share the truth and love, but uh, not a single one of us can win somebody to Christ. The Holy Spirit has to do that. Also, uh, Paul talks a lot, and uh, there's multiple passages, but we're not going to go there tonight. Uh, we'll save that maybe for another time where just Titus was a fellow worker with Paul. 
Boy, I, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Not only did Paul have the privilege of leading Titus to Christ, leading him. Again, the Holy Spirit has to do the work. But now all of a sudden, Titus says, I won't be involved in ministry. Richard, can I share our story? Sure. All right, thanks. I was going to anyway. <laughs> so, and, and, and most of you know Richard now. He's been teaching and uh, just a, a great guy. He happens to be my son-in-law. Uh, but they've been married a little over, going on 16 years now. Is that correct? Yeah, 16 years ago. So it's probably about 18 years ago that uh, Tabitha brings this guy home to my house. And uh, she was interested in him, but uh, she knew that uh, as a Christian that she could only potentially get involved with somebody who's saved. That's a Christian. And the uh, Bible makes it very clear we shouldn't be unequally yoked. And she knew that principle. So bottom line, she brings home this guy. And uh, yeah, he's, he was a nice guy, jovial, and had a nice little chat. And then uh, I said, hey, buddy, let's, let's go outside and have a chat. And he, you know, immediately, you know where his mind went. He was unsaved. He's like, oh boy, here comes. He's going to come down hard about how to treat his daughter and blah, blah, blah. Who can, you know. So he's like, I guess I'll, uh, I like her, so I guess I'll put up with this. Well, we went in the back. He still claims I had a gun. I did not have a gun. Uh, I did not. Uh, I had a sword. I did have a sword. This one right here. And uh, so he started to chat a little bit and... I mean, it, it didn't, it, it, honestly, and I, and I mean this sincerely, it doesn't get any better than the way the conversation went because so seldom does it go this easy. So I just, like I do here every single Sunday, every single service, gave the gospel to him. We're sinners. Richard, you know that, uh, you know, we're all sinners. We, we've sinned. I've sinned. You've sinned. And yeah, I get that. And uh, I'm like, well, you understand that because you sinned, if you got what you deserved, you'd, you'd have to go to hell and, and pay for your sins forever. And he's like, yeah, I, I get that. I said, do you believe that? I said, you know what Jesus did for you, that uh, uh, Jesus Christ, God's son, came down from heaven, went on a cross, and uh, he died for your sins. And uh, he was buried, and three days later he rose again from the dead. So do you, you know, you probably from Easter and Christmas, do you know the stories? And he's like, I do. And uh, I go through it, and, and just recently he said, you know, he said, you took too long to get to the end. I was ready, man. He's like, I was ready to get saved, and you were stalling it. And I'm like, well, that's unusual. Usually I'm too fast. And, uh, and, and, he's, and God was working on him. I mean, it, if you talk about planting, I mean, the seed was deep down in him. The water, man, he was flooded. He's like, come on already. Let's germinate and let's get this going. And uh, finally I said, Richard, if, uh, uh, do you understand the gospel? And I mean, it just was too easy. He was like, yes to everything. And his heart was seemed right. It's like, man, this is too easy. So I tried to make it harder. And now nah, he's just ready. And I said, Richard, you want to receive Christ now? He's like, yes. Now, let's do it. <laughs> And he bowed his head, we prayed, and Richard uh, made a profession of faith in Christ. So then, uh, being the, uh, and folks, it's a good thing to, uh, it's a good story because it's something, it's like, okay, so me and Valerie are, my wife are, like, okay, and I said, man, you know, Richard just got saved and entrusted Christ, and uh, we're like, we hope this isn't a conversion just because he wants to 
date my daughter and not a real conversion and he just did what I said and uh, we just watched him. And God moved in his heart and I mean life changing. Guy was on fire for the Lord. Now here's something that, uh, and I'm, I know I'm rambling a little bit, but I think it's a good story. It'll help some of you, especially with young people, as uh, hopefully if they're not saved, they get saved soon. And uh, he was like, wow! I mean, how old were you then, if you don't mind? 27. 27. He's 27 years old. He's been unsaved. He is a very kinesthetic guy that goes out and loves to be with people. All right? He's like, wow! This is great stuff! I can't wait to go tell my friends about this. So the new Christian, a little naive about how people react to us sometimes, a lot of times, he goes out and starts telling his friends about Jesus. And the reception wasn't quite as good as the one I had with Richard. You know what I'm saying, folks? Uh, it was not good. All of a sudden, the friends that I had, uh, the things I used to do, I'm not going to do them anymore. Instead of going to the bar, it's like, hey, you want to come to church? And they're like, uh, yeah, okay, uh, sure. We'll talk to you about it in a month or two, uh, in about 10 years. Right? So the reception was not good. And all of a sudden, uh, uh, his, he, he learned, just like many of us have, that sometimes the gospel message is not well received. But did that stop him? Uh-uh. Nope, it did not. So folks, and I've had the privilege of spending some time with Richard, and uh, what am I saying? I'm saying sometimes God just, he brings forth the fruit. And, and then uh, he went to Bible school, and then I finally said, okay, you can marry my daughter. And now I got five grandkids from him, and a gerbil, and a couple of dogs. And, <laughs> and by the way, they bought a house about five minutes from here because they want to serve God. Isn't that good? Now, folks, that doesn't happen to everybody we, we witness to. It doesn't happen to everybody that gets saved. But God does some wonderful things. So thanks for letting me tell your testimony for you. Uh, but uh, God just did some great things. All right, so let's move ahead. So Paul's calling was as a minister of the gospel. Let's look at Titus, uh, first three verses. Paul, a bond servant. Uh, the concept is again, and I've and I've gone through the illustration on on the concept of a bond servant before. A bond servant is someone who says, "I will gladly serve my master." So it, it's a, it is a slave term, literally. So what he's saying is, uh, the bond servant comes up to the master and he says, "I love working for you. I don't want to leave." And, and the boss says, uh, you can leave. You don't have to stay. Your, your, your servitude is done. And the bond servant says, I want to stay. So they take the, the, the ear of the individual. They go up to the doorpost and they take their ear and they drive an, uh, a little awl right through uh, the ear and pierce it to the door as a sign what? I'm giving myself to this family. I'm giving myself to this master. And that's what Paul says. He's a bondservant. He's a willingly giving his life to serve God. And an apostle. Uh, take your Bibles. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to look at a couple of verses here. So Paul is giving two major things that he is as an individual. Number one, he's a bondservant. I'm a slave to Jesus. May I ask you this, young people, moms and dads, grandparents, are you a slave to Jesus? 
a willing slave? Are you willing to do everything you can to serve the Lord? Think about somebody that you just love, you care about, and you want to do everything you can for him. And God says, will you do that for me? Will you be my slave? Will you be my servant? Will you be my bond servant? Now, Paul also had an office that he was called to. And let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. This is actually the passage on the resurrection of Jesus, and it also includes the gospel in it in verse 3 and 4. But we want to look about one of the things, a couple of the requirements that you had to have to be an apostle, which Paul was. Verse 15, moreover, brethren, I declare to you what? The gospel. Do we talk about the gospel here at Union Grove? Oh, uh, yeah, like ad infinitum. It's going to come every single message somewhere. I declare to you the gospel. So you're like, well, what's the gospel? Well, here's the gospel. Which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which also you are what? You're saved. Uh, saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from hell. Folks, this is like the main passage on the gospel. And here's what he says, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel, verses 3 and 4. Paul says, for I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ did what? He died for our sins. Every, I, I think almost every message, I point back at that beautiful cross now. Thank you, Colton, for that beautiful cross. Excellent, wonderful, uh, uh, just a beautiful reminder of what Christ did. The death of Jesus, not pretty. We talked a little bit about that this morning. It was ugly. It was horrible. It, it was disastrous, if you will. But on the other hand, it was the greatest thing that ever happened when our Savior said, I'm going to that cross. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ did what? He died for our sins. What does that tell us? Let's see. What's the first point that we usually give in the gospel? Are you a sinner? Do you believe you've, you've done wrong? There it is. He died for our sins. Uh, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. What? According to the Scriptures. Bible made it very clear, Isaiah 53, a thousand years before Jesus went to the cross, it came out that Jesus was going to be crucified. He would be the lamb slaughtered for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Then what? He was buried. He dies. He's buried. What happens? Uh, and, uh, and he rose again, what? The third day. Have you ever uh, heard the gospel said from this pulpit by myself or someone else? He's death, buried. Three days later, he rises again. Folks, that is the gospel. When you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you've got to include the gospel. All right? So what does it include? It includes sin. It includes Jesus Christ coming. It includes his death, burial, and resurrection. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. All right. So when we're sharing the gospel, I mean, I just talked about the, uh, a testimony. I, I, I shared what, how, how Richard came to Christ and kind of what our conversation. But folks, it's not just telling a story. It's got to include the gospel. Otherwise, let the word of God do its thing. All right. Now, he rises from the dead. And here's where we're going to get into one of the apostles. Verse 5. And that he, Jesus, was seen by Cephas. Who's Cephas? Peter, and then by the 12, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. All right, so Jesus is resurrected. How do we know it's true? 
Well, it's true because the, uh, the 12 saw him, the disciples, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Of course, when Paul uh, had written this in 63 or so A.D., but some have fallen asleep. Again, when the Bible talks about falling asleep, what does it mean? They've passed away, they've died. All right? Uh, and then he was seen by James, then what? By all the whom? Apostles. Then, wait a minute. Catch this now. Paul saying, I wasn't one of them. I was not part of the original 12. What does Paul say? Verse, verse, uh, whoops, verse 8. Then last of all, he, Jesus, was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. What is Paul saying? This is a good theological point now. Paul did not witness the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. He, didn't, he had no part of it. Paul was a persecutor. He was a hater of Christians. Remember when he was consenting to Stephen's death in the early part of Acts? And all of a sudden, something marvelous happens. If you remember uh, the account in Acts, we're not going to go through it tonight because it's more about Titus than Paul. Paul's walking around along the road to Damascus. What happens? The risen Savior, he's up in heaven, appears to Paul. Paul says, I was, what does he mean? I was born out of due time. In other words, I was born after the fact. I was born after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So in the scripture, we find an individual being, being Paul that the Lord literally calls out to, to Paul and says, hey, buddy, this is one of those few rare occurrences in scripture where Jesus literally appears to somebody and says, hey, uh, hey, Paul. And he says, yes, Lord. Good call, brother. <laughs> yes, Lord. Uh, what's going on? And he says, and uh, Paul turns to Christ. So he's born out of due time, and he was called by God. He was appointed by God to be an apostle. So uh, as one had to have seen Christ to be an apostle. So you say, well, are there apostles today? There are, there are certain churches, and, and the reason I'm bringing it up, because you've heard of certain individuals that call themselves an apostle. In the technic, true technical sense of the word, there are no apostles today. Apostles had to be ones that literally had seen Christ and were witnesses of his resurrection. Now, the way uh, some other churches that hold a little different doctrinal statement than we would, they will call a pastor, a preacher, will call himself an apostle. Uh, technically speaking, it's an improper term, but they use it as one sent by God. And uh, the technical term for an apostle is one that is sent, if you will, out. But technically, it's uh, not a good term to use today. Paul, a bondservant, uh, a doulas, a servant of God and, a, and an appointed messenger, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word, through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. All right, so the first thing Paul's calling as a minister of the gospel, he was a bondservant, he was called. Then, uh, as we brought out in our little bit earlier introduction, uh, 
Titus, he says, a true son in our common faith. A true son, somebody that he's had the privilege to lead to Christ. So he's a true son. He's, a, he's, he's one of the brethren. He's a son. He's a, a, a brother. Sometimes you'll hear folks here uh, uh, call another guy brother or, or, or a lady sister. What does that mean? They're part of the family of God. They're, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, so if you've trusted Jesus Christ, if you're a female, you're my sister. If you're a, a male, you're my brother. So that's uh, the vernacular, if you will, the Christian. All right, third thing, Paul pronounces some blessings on his spiritual son. So what are those blessings? Grace. Well, may God grant you grace, um, Titus. In other words, uh, uh, pour out on you his free unmerited gift, not just at salvation, but a continual ongoing process of God's wonderful grace being poured out on you. Mercy. Oh, how we need mercy sometimes. Uh, tough times come, hard times come, and, and we sometimes need God's mercy, his forgiveness, his loving kindness, if you will. And peace. Peace. If I asked, if I took a survey right now and I said, do you have, do you have peace in your hearts? I'd probably get a pretty split uh, number on that particular issue. Peace. Do you have peace? Are, are you comfortable not complacent, but are you comfortable in what you do? Do you have God's peace? In other words, when you wake up, are you fretting? Are you having anxiety uh, attacks because uh, uh, things are hard and they're coming at you and, and you just don't know how to deal with them? And God says, listen, let the peace of God rule in your entire heart, your entire life. Just cast your cares upon him from First Peter for he cares for you. It's like when you can cast your cares on Jesus, when you can give him your burdens, when you can say, Lord, I can't make it anymore. I don't know how to make it. And he says, I want you to have my peace. Would you just please let me carry your burden for you? Folks, it, it just really, it's a wonderful thing. And that's what Paul says, Titus, uh, you have God's peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our what? Our Savior. All right, let's move on. Uh, next thing, in, uh, here's Paul's admonition to Titus. Here's what he wants Titus to do. He's like, hey buddy, <laughs> party time's over. Uh, I've been mentoring you. You've been growing in the faith and now I got a job for you. And I mean, it's from the Lord. Titus must do what? He must organize the churches in a place called Crete. And here's what he said. He comes up to uh, Titus and he, and he makes this statement. For this reason, Titus, I'm going to leave you in Crete. And we'll show you where Crete is in just a moment. That you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. So here's the first part. He says, listen, listen, uh, 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 Titus, I want you to stay in Crete. I've left you there on purpose on this island. And I want you to go in there and I want you to set the things in order. Now, as you can see, if you can see the screen, it basically is, is this concept. I want you, there's things that are broken in the churches in Crete. They're new, they've just been established, they're brand new Christians, they've just come to Christ, and I need you to go in there and set things in order. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go up and down the island of Crete. I want you to establish the churches and the ones that are established. And I want you to appoint elders. All right? Elder here. And we're going to look at three different words that basically can be used to describe a pastor. So what he's basically saying, go into Crete. 
Start getting things that are doctrinally uh, not right, things that aren't set right. Get the thing set. Just like a broken bone, you've got to set this thing. Get that church so their doctrine is correct. And then we've got to get elders, pastors in every single church. Now, have you ever heard of an ordination council for a pastor? All right. What happens at an ordination council? And that's the, that's the word right there. Appoint, it's the, the same word that we use at to for ordain in the original. So what does it mean? Well, if you have been ordained, and there's some ordained guys in the room, I believe, and uh, what happens? So they get a bunch of pastors together, and they all put on their, uh, their biggest thinking caps, and uh, they try to they try to make you scream and squeal and, uh, and they ask you all these tough questions, right? Doctrinal questions. Well, Brother Rich, uh, what do you believe, uh, what must a, a person do to become an apostle? Are you an apostle? Uh, what do you think about it? And then they'll just go through and, and you know, try and see if you're ready. It's, it's part of the process. Now, Back in the Old Testament, or back in Old Testament, back in the New Testament times, did they, did they get an ordination council together? Did they go through 20 pastors that you had to answer the questions before they give you your ordination paper? It doesn't appear so. How'd they do it back in, uh, in uh, the Apostle Paul's day? Listen, I want you to go, I want you to go, Titus. I want you to go church to church, and you appoint them. I kind of like that. I had to go through that process, and it was not fun. But uh, uh, back in uh, New Testament times, when the church was getting started, uh, uh, basically Titus went out. He, he vetted the people, and he appointed elders presbyteros. That's the Greek word. What does that word sound like to you? Any particular church? Presbyterian, right? Then there are churches that have what are called Presbyterian uh, polity or the way they run their church. But from the concept of the Bible, an elder, a presbyteros, someone with maturity. Now, folks, that's a big deal. Now, Paul also told Timothy, don't let people despise your youth. He was a young guy, apparently. I don't know how old. But God also makes it very clear. Don't put a novice in the pulpit. Don't take someone who just got saved, hasn't been trained, hasn't been vetted. That's not the kind of person that should be up here teaching folks many times that have more experience, more knowledge, and even more spiritual maturity. So it's a, it's a careful balance. So how old is old enough to where we're not despising their youth? I don't know. There's never an age that was given. But God makes it very clear that uh, to take a new person specifically, and we'll just go there. If somebody got saved last week, they should not be preaching next week. That would not be a good thing. They can share their testimony. That's a good thing. Uh, but to, if you will, God says, he uses the word on purpose. It's a mature person. Uh, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm getting gray here. Anyway, uh, but uh, the concept being it should be a mature person person, uh, somebody who is an elder, and appoint those individuals in every city. All right, so where did he go? Uh, if you look up on the screen, you can see where Crete is. So Israel, of course, is running. You can see Jordan, Syria, Iraq off to the right of the screen. You see Israel in the red. Crete's out in uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. I have one goal left. Well, I have a lot of goals left, but I've never been to Crete. And I really want to go there. So Crete and Cyprus go to the uh, what they'll call the Greek islands and so forth. I've not been there. Uh, I've been told it's not that exciting. But to me it's exciting because it's a biblical place where uh, uh, churches were started in the New Testament. So if anybody wants to go to Crete with me, let me know later. We'll go. All right. You pay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
All right. So what else do we have? So Titus is told to organize the churches in Crete. In other words, I want you to go to Union Grove Baptist. I want you to go to Calvary Baptist. I want you to go to Emmanuel Baptist. I want you to go to uh, Racine. Ba I want you to go every single place that's got a church established in Crete. And I want you to appoint leaders, pastors in those churches. All right, so that's the concept. So again, we're going to move right through this now. For this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking, appoint these elders, these presbyteros in every city. All right, now very quickly, I just want to give you the other words that God uses to talk about pastors uh, uh, in the scriptures, and then we're going to look at a list of things that God says a pastor elder should have. All right, so in 1 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about overseers or bishops, depending on if you have a King James version or a New King James or some other version, you'll see those two words, overseer or bishop. Now, most of us think if I say we're going to talk about bishops tonight, you're not going to think about an independent fundamental Baptist church because we don't use the term bishop. Many of the mainline denominations will use that term, uh, but it is a biblical term for pastors. Episcopos. Uh, episcopos. Does that sound like a particular denomination that you know of? What is it? Episcopalian, right? Uh, kind of an offshoot from the Catholic Church. But that again, that's a title that they picked up for their uh, uh, priests or bishops or whatever they want, these different groups want to call them. But it's a, I mean, literally, if I, if you, a pastor came here and we called him an overseer or a bishop, it's a biblical term, but it's one we don't use. Uh, at least not very often. We also talked about presbyteros from Titus. The next thing that literally, which is the, the term we do use very often, is a pastor. That's uh, from Acts 20 verse 28, Ephesians 4 verse 11. It talks about a pastor. The word means shepherd. Now folks, when we get into the qualifications for a pastor, and I'm rather vocal about this, and I've got a few years, so I think I'm okay with it, I hear constantly, and again, I am not going to give a, an illustration on this. I'm just going to tell you the facts of life. The amount of individuals that say they're called to be pastors and they do anything but. It's like, I want to be, a, a, um, I want to be an electrician, but you never took a journeyman's course. You never walked with a, a, a skilled electrician and all of a sudden they're in the pulpit uh, because they think they should be. And they don't shepherd. They don't love their people. They don't teach the word of God. And folks, I watch as those churches go, boom, and they plummet. I encourage you, if I drop over dead today, which I trust I'm not going to, and the rapture hasn't taken place, these are the things that God has ordained, he has mandated that a pastor must shepherd his flock. John chapter 10, how did Jesus shepherd the flock? I know my sheep. I know each one by name. I call out my voice and they come to me. Now folks, it's not about a, 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 a power thing. This is about love. It's about 
does the pastor, does the shepherd, does he know who I am? Does he know my burdens? Does he know when I, I'm walking uh, towards the, the cliff and he reaches out his staff and he, and he grabs uh, me and pulls me back to protect me from being harmed? He, he's got his rod with him so when the wolves come, that bam, he can knock the wolves out of the way so the sheep are protected. It's, it's not meant to be a, a downgrading term. It's a loving, kind, beautiful thing that God said, listen, a pastor better love the people. A pastor better shepherd the flock. He better teach them. He better protect them. He better fight for them when necessary. That's the concept. It's, it's so endearing. Finally, uh, in Ephesians 4.11, he uses another term, uh, didaskalos, basically a teacher, a pastor teacher, somebody who loves the people, can help the people, uh, but teaches them. It's, it's a pastor teacher. That's part of the shepherding uh, work of a pastor. All right. Oh, you don't, uh, don't, no, no. And I even cancel everything out. All right. Let's see if we got something popped up here. No. All right. Sorry about that. I need my technology. There we go. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Appoint elders in every city as I commanded you, Titus. Now he's starting to go through the list. And here's a list of qualifications that someone who, if you're interested in going into the ministry, if you want to be a pastor, and no disrespect meant to one single lady here, but God has made it very clear that he only calls men into the pastorate. There's plenty of things, by the way, for ladies to do. Plenty of things, but uh, on, on this particular one, uh, this is specific to a male. And we'll see that as we go along. He's got to be blameless. The husband of one wife. All right, right there, it makes it very clear that we're talking about a male individual. Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop, a pastor, an elder must be blameless. And we'll look at that word in a moment, what that means as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but positive, hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded. And we're talking about sober here. We're not talking about somebody who isn't drunk. We're talking about someone who is, quite frankly, not a jokester. All right? Sober-minded, takes things seriously, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. All right, so we're going to go through in the next couple of minutes, just go through these concepts that are listed in just this one section of Titus. So the concept of the individual should be blameless. Now, folks, if that meant sinless, there's not a single person that could take the office, including myself. We're all sinners. Every single one of us has a sin nature. What it's talking about, the concept from the original being blameless, is a person who has a strong, good reputation. All right? So in other words, if somebody wants to be a pastor and they're the town uh, cut up, they're, the, they're a problem, they end up in jail because they're not obedient, they're immoral, they have no ethics, they, they don't pay their bills, that's not blameless. Okay? So in other words, the, the, the people... In the community, the people in the church need to recognize that this person 
basically from a public perception is not, if you will, an outward sinful individual, but basically lives a very proper separated life. First Peter 1, chapter 14 to 16 says, as obedient children, not fastening ourselves according to the former lusts in our ignorance, but as he who hath called you is holy, so be ye holy, separated in all manner of life. That's the concept. Uh, the next one, uh, basically the, the, what the original says is a one-woman man. Now that doesn't mean one at a time. <laughs> it means a one-woman man. In other words, my wife is sitting right back there. I point her out often. She doesn't like me to, but I like to. And it's the right thing to do. I'm a one-woman man. If I was flirtatious, if I had girlfriends on the side, if I was immoral against my wife, that is cause for immediate dismissal from the pulpit. No toleration. It is a mandate. One woman, man. I love Valerie, my wife. And I won't tell you how long we've been married, but I love my wife, Valerie. There is no other person, and there will never be another person, lest God kill me. And rightly so. That means a one woman, man. Keep your eyes focused on your one woman. That's basically what he's saying. A one woman man. Anybody who's been convicted, if you will, of uh, uh, immoral, eth unethical behavior with other females. Oh, that, I mean, I, I, I could spend way too long and I know we're out of time. Individuals that have been in the ministry that have called themselves pastor and have been immoral with other women and churches put them back in the pulpit, you might as well put Jack the Ripper up there. You have disqualified yourself. You are not allowed in the pulpit if you are an immoral individual. It's disqualified. You're done. Go be something else. You can serve in the... Now, it's not saying they can't be used in the church, but you do not put an immoral person back in the pulpit. If they were, did it before they were saved, that's open to discussion. After you're saved, done. Blameless. Uh, same concept, not self-willed. In other words, this is the way it's going to be, people. My way or the highway. That's command and control. God says, uh-uh, shepherd. You love the people. You care about them. You listen. You deal with it. Not self-willed. Not quick-tempered. Now, if I got up here and uh, <laughs> some of you have told me about churches you've been in the past and uh, some, something happens and it goes against the pastor and, and the pastor would get up the next week, he'd get in the pulpit and he'd ream them out right in public. Mmm, yeah, not a good thing. Like, well, you know what, you know what, you, you didn't know what you did this week. Point them, I mean, literally point them out, call their name and just ridicule the fire out of them. I'm like, that's not a good shepherd. Not a good shepherd. Not quick-tempered. Not given to wine. All right? He says, don't be going out there and drinking. You say, Brother Rich, are, 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 do you go out and drink? No, I don't. You say, why? Because God told me not to. I'm not given to wine. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, you say, well, do you, do you use social drink? I can't do it. You say, why? Because I don't have a mouth. And you say, we're hearing you, we're hearing you uh, uh, preach right now. What do you mean you don't have a mouth? I don't have a mouth. I don't have a tongue. I don't have an esophagus. I cannot go out in public and go drinking. Why? Because God said, I want you to be an example. And God has called me to be an example. I don't have an option. 
All right, so God says, if, if you say, hey, Brother Rich, you want to go out for a beer? No, I'm, I don't have a mouth, can't do it. My mouth belongs to Jesus. I just can't go out and have a beer with you. Not going to happen. All right? Uh, uh, and that's, that's what God says here. Can't be given a wine. Not violent. You say, oh, Brother Rich, you were in law enforcement for 33 years. I was. You say, did you ever have to use force on people? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Did you ever kill anybody? No, I didn't, thank God. Did you ever pull your gun on people? Yes, I did. Well, you must be a violent person. No, I'm not. Because every single person and every single person sitting in this room right now, you have a right to defend yourself. If a criminal pulls a gun on me, I will return the favor. And I've had to return the favor on a couple of occasions. And thank God they put the gun in the right direction. I never had to shoot a single person. And I just praise the Lord for that because I've made literally thousands of arrests in my life. Thousands. I've pulled over so many cars, it's crazy. You say, well, what about when you had to use force? You just admitted that you're, that you're violent. You had to use force. No. When somebody attacks me, when somebody's attacking someone else, you use the, and here's how they train you, and it's the right way to train. You use the least amount of force necessary to bring the person under control. You say, did you ever kill anybody? No. Did you ever hurt anybody? Not severely. Why? Because you're trained in the least amount of force to use. You say, well, we've seen cops on television. They've killed people. They've shot people. They've, uh, they've hammer-locked them on, on their heads. They've done all these you know, folks, when you're a Christian, you don't have to do that. You do the right thing. You use the amount of force necessary. I will tell you what I've done. I've watched some individuals like you've seen on the TV for a very short period of time. We are at Brewer Stadium. And if you're watching out there, I still remember it. <laughs> and this individual, I won't say his name, he was, I love the guy. He had a temper. By the way, that's not quick-tempered. And uh, there's an individual, he got dragged down into the bullpen, which we call it, which is like getting ready to go into our little jail cell, and the guy was out of control, he was drunk, which happens. And uh, this uh, particular officer said, uh, yeah, not on my watch. Boom! Started beating on him. I grabbed him by the back of the neck and pulled him off. That's what a good cop is supposed to do, by the way. That's what we're trained to do was trained. I'm not one anymore. Took him by the back of the neck, pulled him off. He was mad, not happy with me. Said, can't do that, buddy. Settle down. I'll take care of it from here. The guy was under control. Folks, that's what we need in law enforcement today. I mean, oh, I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but all the, this, a lot of the silliness that we see happening, if you had good cops, would stand up, do the right thing, Pull the guy off when he's, when he's upset. Get him out of the room, which is a trained tactic. Get him out and take over. A lot of this stuff doesn't happen. So he said, Brother Rich, are you violent? Only when necessary. <laughs> but no, I'm not, I'm not going to come in here and beat somebody up. If one of you gets in a fisticuff, I'm going to break you up. And I will do it effectively. <laughs> That's all it is, right? Do the right thing. Love people. Care about people. When other people get mad and mean and out of sorts, don't be violent. All right, we got to move. Not greedy for money. Well, folks, I, I won't go through uh, that particular issue except to say this. 
If somebody enters the ministry to think that they, uh, to get a job or to get a paycheck, they don't belong in the ministry. I hope you've realized from the, bi from the Bible, from the budget, that that's absolutely not why I'm here. I, I, I honestly, I don't care about money. My wife gets mad sometimes. I mean, she's like, we got to pay the bills. No, the bills are paid. And God's done good. I'm just kidding uh, on my wife, but she knows my heart. And it's like, I don't, care, I don't care about money. I really don't. It just, it's not an issue. And God says, listen, if you're going in the ministry and, you are, and you're going in to get a paycheck and you're going in it because you think it's a good job, stay away. Hospitable. I love my dine with the pastor. I got... <laughs> Now, now still, I know there's folks in this room I still haven't gotten over. I've got 13 people come to our house Thursday night. I just went crazy today. Started, I'm like, I haven't got you, I haven't got you. And I'm going to keep doing that until I get everybody. And then we're going to redo it. But hospitable, you've got to love people. Bring them in. Feed them. Take care of them. A lover of what is good. That's self-explanatory. Sober-minded. Do I like a good joke once in a while? Yeah, I do. I like to have fun. I'm not, I'm not a total stick in the mud like some of you might think. I actually do have fun once in a while. And, and I enjoy humor and I enjoy uh, a good laugh and we all should. Folks, uh, a, 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 a joyful heart. Oh, it's a good thing, right? Uh, but you got to be sober. When you're going to help people, when you're going to be in a, a, a leadership role, there's times you just better think properly, think righteously. Think about what are the consequences. Every single thing I do, I try it. I don't always do it right. You've got to try. What are the consequences if I do X? If I say something to this person, is it going to affect them or someone else? Is it going to hurt them? Is it going to damage them? Are they going to be offended? Folks, I have to think about every single word I say. When I know that I've offended someone, and as unintentional as it is, because I never go out of my way to be offensive, and somebody's offended, and I know they're offended, I'll tell you, and you can ask, ask Valerie about this, I, it's like, man, I'm broke. And it's happened a few times. It's like, man, I saw somebody walk out the other day, and I think they were mad, and they weren't happy about something I said, and it's like, I got to get it right. And I'll, I'll call them, I'll beg them, and, uh, until hopefully uh, there's a resolution. Uh, Sober-minded, just, uh, simple, concept of just being a just individual. Holy, simple word means separated. Self-controlled. You say, well, Brother Rich, are you self-controlled? You don't look like you're in the best of shape sometimes. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, my one uh, little weakness is I eat a little bit too much on occasion, and I've been on, by the way, you ever do the keto diet or uh, Atkins, I'm, I'm on it, so please don't, don't, don't bring me any more sweet stuff, but uh, my wife loves it. But uh, for the next few months, it's like, i got to watch myself a little bit. Right? You have self-control. Been there, done that, right? Holding fast, oh boy, here we go. Holding fast the faithful word. The preacher better be preaching this book. If they're telling stories and anecdotes and never, ever open this book, never give a verse out of the Bible, that's not a pastor. All right, does that make sense, folks? So you can all go out now. You say, well, we voted you in in April. I think we should have another election right now and decide if we agree with what you just said. Well, uh, I'll talk to Justin if he wants to do that. And if he does, I will put him in a headlock. And, uh, <laughs> and he'll probably knock me down because he works hard for a living. I don't. I, uh, I sit at a desk. But uh, no, folks, that, that's what God's called, called uh, pastors to do. Hey, young people. Hey, guys. 
Young people right here. Steel boys. Right here, guys. You think God might want you to be a pastor someday? How about back here? Do you think right there? Uh, uh, um, Vinny, RJ, you think God might want you to be a pastor someday? Timothy, Titus, Thaddeus, others in here to, today, uh, uh, do you think God may call you to be a, a pastor someday? And you say, well, you know, I, I love the Lord and, and I feel like God might be calling me and I'm not sure and I'm young and I, I, love, the, I love to hear the preaching and I, and I love the Bible and I, and I want to serve people. And all of a sudden, maybe someday, just like when I was a teenager, I'm, I'm sitting on the couch uh, of my mom and dad's home, and I'm about a sophomore in, in high school, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking about what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? What's the next step? And I, I love the Lord, and I love my church, and I'd just gotten saved. And, and uh, about a year later, I'm sitting in the same spot, and all of a sudden, I, I, I just can't explain it, but it just happens, and all of a sudden, inside my head, it's like I was going to I literally, I was going to join the Marines in about a week. I was in much better shape. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm, I believe I'm, I'm going to join the Marines. I think it's the right thing for me to do. And within a week of me saying that, I'm sitting on my, I'm, I'm actually laying on my parents' couch. I still remember it like yesterday. And all of a sudden, it just came to me, you need to go to, you need to, go to Bible school and preach the gospel. I mean, it was just as clear as day. Clear as day. Hey, Naminsky boys, is that something that maybe God's going to call you to do? Uh, uh, how about the Collins boys? Maybe uh, God's going to call you to do that. Uh, other folks that are here today, maybe you're a teenager, maybe you're an adult, and all of a sudden, God, you're sitting on the couch or you're in church, and all of a sudden, God says, I need you. I'm calling you to the ministry. What you going to do when God calls you? And it could happen. Are you going to be prepared? Well, folks, let's, you got to keep those things. In other words, if God's calling you into the ministry, you can't go out and be partying. Can't be going out there and dating every girl in town and getting in trouble. Can't do it. Can't be going out there to the parties and getting drunk and coming home. And you know, It's a separated life. It's one that God calls you to, a bondservant. I'm giving myself to the Lord. Is this good stuff, folks? It, it, it is. It's, it's Bible. It's just plain old-fashioned Bible. And God has set the stage. This is what a pastor should be like. Now, folks, the next time we come back, it'll be actually three weeks before I preach again because we're having November 1st, and then next week we'll have Maranatha here on Sunday night. But I want everybody to think about this, and I don't want to kill the mood right now because, you know, right here where we are, God may be calling someone as we speak. We've just gone through it. We've gone through the list of things, and there's so much more. But has God called you to the ministry? <laughs> has God called you? Is God calling you maybe even tonight? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I think tonight may be one of those important nights. You just laid on my heart something, Lord, and I don't know who it is. But I think maybe there's someone here, maybe it's not tonight, but maybe it's something you're going to do, that there may be a, a, a young man here tonight, maybe someone who's in their teen years, maybe someone uh, uh, older than that, maybe even a, a grown adult that has already got a job. And you're crawling out to them as we speak tonight, saying, I need you. I need you to go out there. I need you to represent me. I need you to preach the Word of God. I need you to uh, be a, a strong stand in this corrupt and evil world. 
Would you say yes to Jesus if he called you tonight? Would you say, Holy Spirit, I'm not going to quench that. I'm, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. Would you think about that? I don't want it to be an emotional experience. I want it to be something that God is literally saying, listen, I need you in the ministry. Father, maybe there's, there is someone that you're calling as we speak this very moment. And Lord, to not allow this to be an emotional night, but to be one that the Holy Spirit has rain on. I'm going to ask that uh, if that's you tonight, if you believe the Holy Spirit's calling you to get into the ministry, to consider going to Bible school, right there where you're seated, I want you just to ask the Lord, what's the next step, Lord? And then I want you to tell somebody before you leave. Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone else. And don't walk out of here without saying something. Every head's bowed, every single eye is closed, please. Nobody moving about for a minute. If you're here tonight and you say, and I'm just going to ask this simply because I don't want to push the envelope where I shouldn't push it. But if you're here tonight and uh, maybe, maybe you're uh, uh, thinking, and, and by the way, God also calls uh, young ladies into being missionaries and being used in that way. He calls uh, 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 young ladies into Christian schoolwork and other things. There's various things. We're mainly on pastors tonight, but God calls people into the ministry. If you're here tonight and you say, Brother Rich, would, I'm, I'm not going to have you come forward, but I'm going to ask, I, I do want to pray for you tonight, and I won't call your name. But if you're here tonight and you say, Brother Rich, I, th I think God may be calling me into the ministry. Would you pray for me and, and maybe help me in the next weeks to come as I, as I think about this very, very important move? If you're here tonight and that's your heart and God may be calling you, would you just slip your hand up nice and high? I'll pray for you. God bless you. You can put it down. Thank you so much. Anyone else? God's, God bless you. I see that. Someone else, God, maybe call me into full-time ministry or just maybe bivocational ministry and, and you believe in God, maybe stir in your heart tonight. Anyone else? Father, thank you for these dear folks. You know I love them with all my heart. And Lord, I pray for those that uh, just responded to you and said, Lord, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. And Father, I pray that you'd help them, Lord, to know the exact path. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom, Lord, as I help them to go the path that you've called them to. So Father, we rejoice tonight. I'm thankful for it. I pray finally, if there's anyone here that's never trusted Christ, if you're here, you've never trusted Jesus, you're not sure if you died, you go to heaven, or if you're watching on the video tonight, and you'd say, Brother Rich, I'm not sure if I die to go to heaven. We gave you the gospel two times tonight already. We're all sinners. Because we've sinned, we don't deserve to go to heaven. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down, died on the cross for our sins, gave his life for you. And he simply says, for by grace are you saved. My free gift to you, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's nothing you can do. It's the gift of God, not of our works, lest any person should boast. Right there where we are, would you say yes to Jesus? I'm accepting your free gift of salvation tonight. Father, I uh, pray for those right now, whether they're watching or in the room right now, if they're trusting Christ, would you please hear their, their, their prayer? Would you pray with me, those looking to trust Christ? The prayer won't save you, but let's tell Jesus what's happening in your heart right now. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven, but this Sunday night, this moment right now as I'm watching a video, I'm asking Jesus to come into my heart. I thank you for forgiving my sins and promising to take me to heaven when I die. I'm taking your free gift this very moment. Father, seal decisions. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do in lives. We praise you and love you in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.